0: Hello and welcome to Queer Talk, a brand new queer podcast. I'm James and each episode I'll be joined by my fabulous co-hosts Mufseen and Spencer. Hello you two. Mufseen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Do you have a busy day? Always, always. I'm always
1: being really busy and fighting the good fight.
0: (laughs) I'm glad
2: you're enthusiastic. Spencer, how was your day? My day was wonderful. Also busy. (laughs) Probably not as busy as Mufseen. He's just said it three times. (laughs) Busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy.
0: Busy. There's nothing wrong with being busy. Uh, to be fair, I like I like, I'd rather be busy than sat constantly watching Netflix every day. Or like sat at a table for three hours trying to record a <laughs> podcast. I don't know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> So, what is Queer Talk? So, each episode we will be shining a light and discussing some positive news stories about queer life. And uh, we'll also be interviewing people about issues that affect the LGBTQ plus community. Talking of news, let's have a look at some positive LGBTQ plus news stories. So,
2: talking of positive news
0: stories within the uh, LGBTQ plus community, Spencer, what story have you chosen for us?
2: So I found um, the piece by Ben Hunt, who covered a trans woman in the West Midlands called Sonia. And basically, Sonia transitioned and, uh, as part of that process, um, discovered their new name. And in order to affirm that and feel confident about that, she trialled it in a Starbucks store. Um, and for me, the story is really positive because it allows kind of an insight into something that's very personal you don't you don't hear the side of things you hear the struggle of transition and the long waiting lists and you know all the problems that come with it um but this story looks at I think you know cute is the best word to describe it um Mm -hmm. so she went into the store trialed her new name and having that written on a coffee cup just um she kind of said it it started her journey of self-acceptance and she felt really um, enlightened by that um, she mentioned, she kind of quoted, um, the cup with my name on was like a badge of honour. It was a symbol that I finally knew who I was. Um, and in the article it mentioned Mermaid's gender. They reached out on their local forum to other people about this and quite a lot of people have done the same thing. They've gone to their local coffee shop and they've given their name and had that put on.
0: So Mermaid's Day, you're
2: referring to the charity. Yeah, Mermaid's Gender, the charity. And... Yeah, a lot of a lot of trans individuals still have their first coffee cup from from when they went and shared their name for the first mm. time, and it's a super enlightening story.
0: It sounds very similar to like coming out stories in a way, you know what I mean? Like people within the community can often uh, relate to one another because of coming out stories. Yeah. So that sounds sort of similar to that.
2: Yeah, it's a whole new insight um, into the trans experience that I hadn't heard before, and I'm really glad that I know now because. Little, little acts of kindness and little kind of beacons of light like that can make what is a really kind of testing experience for someone to go through a little bit better um, and it's just really nice to read stuff like that
0: Which news story, i have you, you gone with?
1: So the news story I've picked up is uh, quite interesting because it's coming off the back of the Starbucks story that Spencer just mentioned uh, Starbucks have pledged to raise 100000 for Mermaid's charity the Starbucks commercial is one minute long and it follows a journey of a trans boy who um, has several situations where people use his dead name and then at the end of the commercial goes into Starbucks and chooses his own name. Um, and it's, it's kind of that experience of being able to say what your name is and no one questioning it and it's reaffirming and validating. Um, and that is in line with this hashtag that they're using which is what's your name and that's the launch of that campaign and it's going to raise 100,000 for mermaids so that's good and I thought it was quite uh, interesting thing for Starbucks to do because they are a good um, supporter of LGBT rights and pride um, and uh, they continue to do that
0: yeah, I mean, there was a story out in 2018 during the middle of 2018 with regards to Starbucks and they had announced that they were going to offer comprehensive care for transgender employees, which also covered several procedures that are usually excluded by insurers. So it is fair to say that, you know, Starbucks are not, uh, I don't think you could say that Starbucks are guilty of pinkwashing, for example, mm. but it sounds like they are consistent. And I think that's one thing that other companies, other organisations can be held account to is Definitely. that perhaps they're not very consistent because we get to Pride and you see sort of like, sponsored by, duh. And you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, but what did you do for the other 300 plus days a year? Because you know, there's several Pride events. Sure. So, yeah, it's good to see that Starbucks is
1: being it's, consistent. Yeah, running campaigns all year round um, and not just here for the
2: month. Also, it's really good to see that they're looking after their staff, because a lot of people see campaigns, even if it's not during Pride season, and they're like, oh, great, one campaign. But to see that they're looking after their staff and they're pledging for, you know, long term, that's what we expect to see from companies. You know, if you're going to do it, do it properly.
1: Last year, there was, um, in Marks and Spencer's, there was the LGBT sandwich. And I don't eat sandwiches, so I don't know what's in the LGBT sandwich.
0: It was lettuce, guacamole, bacon and tomato, I Right, so
1: I'm, I'm vegetarian, so I'm not going to eat that. It's <laughs> already excluding me from, like, from that. I mean, it's not being very inclusive. Yeah. Can they release the LGBT sandwich? Yeah. But that that product was put on, put on shelves, and it raised 10000 for Albert Kennedy Trust. But from what I saw, a lot of people were very divided on that. Kind of, are you... Um, reducing the LGBT uh, fight, the LGBT cause down to a sandwich is this pinkwashing. But it, in all honesty, if it's raising £10,000 for a homeless LGBT charity, then surely that's a good
0: thing. There's still money that's, be- that's going to a good cause. Mm. yeah. And they could have chosen not to do it. So you can buy the sandwich, eat the carbs, have a fabulous time and raise money. Or just not. But I think sometimes people don't... Some people don't engage filter. And sometimes we need to realise that, you know, stop being so negative. Yeah. Be a bit bit more positive. Yeah,
1: and if you think about where we were in 1970s when Pride movements happened, Mm -hmm. when they first started, we were very kind of protest, protest, protest. We didn't have any support from companies or in the mainstream at all. And look how far we've come. And... Like, we should be grateful that we have support from organisations, companies, Um, and I'm not saying to give them full control of the movement or anything like that. It's just, we have to make sure we engage with companies uh, so that these LGBT sandwiches are happening, mermaid cookies in Starbucks are happening to raise money, uh, and they're all going to good causes. Um, It's not pinkwashing yeah i agree i
0: think what's all uh, a good idea perhaps is making sure that you consult with the community so you're yes. making sure that you engage as much as possible with the lgbt community bring people on board to the panel who are making these decisions mm-hmm. so the fact is is that you can make sure that things don't come across offensively there's yeah. no misappropriation you know because there are examples of um fashion outlets let's Let's not name names. I'm not <laughs> going to drag people. But there are, you know, there are examples of fashion mm. outlets where, actually, the only reason why they turn around and they said, oh, now we're going to donate X, Y, and Z amount of money that created from this was because people actually dragged them to filth on social media. And they were like, you could buy a Pride t-shirt. And it's like, yeah, but babe, how much of that is going towards it? Sure. So it's like, we need to be careful um, about... Well, companies need to be careful to not jump on the bandwagon and earn a profit from something that originally yes. was a protest. Yeah. yeah, But then also, yeah, I, I think that... I'm going to get hated by this. But I think sometimes people are just incredibly ungrateful. You know, they have to remember that at least companies are willing to go out of their way to give us dollar, dollar. Do you sure. know what I mean? Yeah, so, but I think what
1: you said about if you're doing something for any community... You have to engage with the community before you do it. Mm-hmm. If you're running an LGBT campaign, you have to talk to people from you know, yeah. that community, yeah. the LGBT community, and get that you know get that conversation going, do the
2: campaign or whatever it is properly. People kind of forget that progress is slow. People expect change to happen by tomorrow. And for I remember a couple of years ago, everyone was calling out all these companies like, "Why are they selling Pride merch? Where's the money going? Where's the money? You know." What are we getting out of this? And then last year, I was being very kind of vigilant of it. And I noticed almost everywhere in the small print was like, X amount is going to this charity. Yes. And mm-hmm. so already we're seeing progress. Now, yeah, they're still making more profit. And yeah, they're still, you know, it, we're not getting 100% of the money from these products, but these are businesses and we have to respect that also. Like, like we said at the beginning of this discussion, they don't owe us anything. don't have to create these things for us there could be no pride merch there could be no pride t-shirts and you know also places like primark make it affordable for those that can't get to pride or can't you know for whatever reason and selling things cheaper and you know these different price points Mm. give access to different people to even feel included in that so whilst some of us that are more woke if you like want the money to go to the right place there's people who are less educated on the, on where the finance is going but they just want to be um they want to be part of pride and that's really important too because mm-hmm. that visibility you know call it rainbow washing or not but that visibility has a huge significance as well um, to those that maybe don't accept us in the first place, there's so many levels of of acceptance and, and where we're at, and people need to understand that it's way more complex than like, oh, why aren't, why aren't we getting enough money from this? Because mm. we do, I think we do need to be grateful. It can be taken away at any moment.
0: Yeah. And talking about like helping people and being being inclusive, the story that I chose was um, about the Rainbow Railroad, and so Rainbow Railroad. Um, As of uh, 2019, the middle of 2019, um, they had uh, helped to resettle... almost 550 LGBTQ plus people. For anyone that doesn't know what Rainbow Railroad is, it's a Canadian charitable organisation that helps the LGBTQ plus communities or individuals um, who are trying to get away from violence and persecution in their home countries. So in the past they have helped individuals from places like the Caribbean, Africa and the Middle East try and relocate to safer countries in uh, Europe or in North America. So I think that's amazing that you have uh Charitable organisations such as Rainbow Railroad, who are you know going out of their way to make sure that they can, that people can be brought into a more safer space so that they can live an authentic life.
1: So they're a Canadian charity, and they're not, but they're not just resettling people in Canada, but any other country. Yeah. So or wherever it suits. Yeah.
0: So according to the Wikipedia page, it's saying that they try to uh, relocate people to Europe and North America, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's an amazing thing. Before Mm. this podcast, for example, because we'd all set ourselves a goal to go and find a new story to go and research, and I'm grateful that, you know, we had this opportunity to do that, because I would never have heard of Rainbow Railroad I've never heard of them,
1: and I love what they do. Yeah, it's fabulous. I think it's really important to really think about... I think because we live in London, uh, in a country that is, you know, accepting...
0: Air quotes. Air
1: quotes. (laughs) I'm using air quotes because, you know, it's not perfect. But compared to people who live in other countries where there's a lot more homophobia, transphobia, you know, there's religious states as well. um, It's unsafe to be yourself in those countries. And in order for people to feel safe,
0: um, yeah, we need these charities. Oh, completely. You know, so... Uh, Mufstein and I, we're, we're both based in London and Spencer, you're based in Manchester, yeah. you know, which, so we have kind of, we live in like the gay makers of of the yeah. UK, so to speak. And so, I'm from Brighton, I came from a gay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, we always, I don't want to say we're guilty, how can I say?
1: I think we just have to appreciate that we have... Privilege. Privilege. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are in a privileged place because yeah. we are all from the UK. Yeah.
2: Yeah so we live in a, in a rather accepting place but it's really important that we open up conversations about things like this happening elsewhere yeah. because mm. often we're completely oblivious to the fact and this, this is journalism done well because you need you need to read and hear about these things happening otherwise you you just stay in your bubble and you focus on the problems that are close to you mm. and actually they they're sometimes quite small compared to you know to help 550 people resettle across across Europe and America is crazy mm-hmm. So. Shout out to Rainbow. You're
1: on Yes. Yeah, yeah no, I would like to... I plan to bring in um, some guests later in the series to talk about how it is to be LGBTQ plus in other countries. Because I think there's a lot of stories to be told there. Yeah. And every now and again in London, I do meet people from other countries uh, who have relocated to London. It's like, why have you moved to London? Mm. Because of this. And sure, you know these countries don't have the best LGBT rights, but it's only when you talk to people... And you hear their real stories like being told to you, but like, it really hits home how bad it is.
0: Speaking of interviews, I think it's time for the interview.
2: Oh my god.
0: <gasps> Link, thank you, you're welcome. Huge <laughs> <Q> jingle. <laughs> <laughs> So talking of positive queer life, Queer Talk itself is the sibling of For the Love of Queers and given we have the creator of For the Love of Queers as one of our (laughs) co-hosts, it only feels right, Spencer, darling, that you are our first interviewee. For sure. So why did you start For the Love of Queers?
2: I found when I was growing up there was a complete lack of queer people anywhere and One of the first things we do when we come out, or when we discover that we're LGBT, is try and figure out what that means. And besides googling and trying to watch like LGBT films, like Under My Covers, Hmm. you you don't see that. So I grew up in North Wales. Probably quite important to mention that. I I was going to ask. (laughs) Where were you? The Welsh accent's not coming through. There's no no accent. I'm sorry, darling. Okay. (laughs) So yeah not being in the London bubble or not being in a bubble full stop, being in this little space where queer visibility doesn't exist. And thank God you had the internet. Yes, thank God for the internet. You know, most people think Wales we don't have the internet, but we, we do. We're quite we're quite advanced. Just not as advanced as the rest of the world, just yet. Um yeah, so I started the page, one to find myself and two to find other people because the two go hand in hand. You find other people and you relate and you, you find experiences and you realise who you are and what you're like and what you're into and what you're not. Um, and that was really important for me.
1: Mm. And how did the Philadelphia quiz start? So, how did it materialise?
2: Well, I'm a bit of a social media addict. Um, guru. A, a guru. Guru. Let's go I mean, we that. all met through social media. We so. did. Thank goodness for and that. And here we are. <laughs> Slightly weird, but I I just typed in gay into Facebook and and prayed that something would come up. There would be other gays. I mean, I realize now that people don't just put gay in their name on Facebook, and like it was it was a long it was a long search. It was a long process, but I found some forums and and then seeing all these people, kind of also confused. You know, I can only describe it as like in Finding Nemo when they're all like all these fish are just swimming around like lost, but like in a in a pack. Um, all these people were like me but confused and, and mm. seeking validation and reassurance and trying to get questions answered. So I started speaking to them, I started adding them on my personal Facebook which both made me receive a lot of crazy messages, you know, people who are very confused and concerned about their sexuality and then there was a lot of people on these forums that I was able to learn from. and being able to kind of ask them questions and just get real answers really helped me understand things so then that led into social media I don't really know what came over me but I was like right I'm going to interview these people like, I'm, I'm just having pointless conversations like let's make them meaningful.
1: you wanted to share stories
2: yeah I wanted to share the stories of these people so I would I put together 10 questions about coming out that I knew the answer to and I answered them first and that was how I came out I shared my own story on the page Mm -hmm. and all my friends and family who had experienced my coming out in real life read my take on it and how I felt and and it kind of blew up like everyone reacted and was like wow like I got a lot of apologies I got a lot of support and people kind of reacted to that in a really emotional way
1: I guess people don't really know what you're going through people just see you come out and they think that's the beginning of the journey
2: exactly
0: but I think also when you come out a lot of people expect you to be able to tell them exactly who you are and what you mean and one thing from personal experience it's like I've come out but I I don't quite know who I am yet like I just know a very small piece of information which is that I'm attracted to men that doesn't necessarily mean that I I know how I fit into this world as a gay man yeah. yes. because I've not had the opportunity necessarily to bring this person out who I identify as. I've not had the opportunity yeah. because people are like, "No, being gay is wrong. It's a sin and you in your mind." Like, exactly. Awesome. So I'm going to keep this in
2: the closet, and we're just gonna just just me and me myself and I. You know. Exactly. And and having having people present at your coming out, but but not understanding or not reacting there and then, you know, they still don't know how you feel in the moment. Um, So being able to share that online with people that understand the experience because they've been through it themselves or they're about to, or they're working towards it was really rewarding for me. So I would, I would get a photo of these people, many of which wanted to remain anonymous because they were so scared to have something shared online that seemed so private and personal in this forum. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them, Yeah, gave me an anonymous photo and I shared their story and it just grew and grew and grew and coming out was the focus for that Um, and it really helped me understand who I was and then other other issues emerged and I was like, wow, coming out is such a small facet of our lives when the queer world is so much more complex than that and I had to, I mean, I'm still trying to get my head around it and explore everyone and everything and every culture through the page today.
0: I mean, so what's your uh, favourite
2: for the Love of Queer project been so far? Um, I think the most recent. So I did a campaign over Christmas, over the holidays, and we basically, I wanted to reach out to how people felt going home for the holidays because it seemed to be quite a big issue. And even as someone that's accepted by my family, going home still raises this kind of anxiety um, as to like leaving your Queer bubble, if you like, and your safe space, and going back to most of the time where you were before you came out, you know, and it's it's a sense of like going into the past. And this campaign allowed me to reach out to people from all walks of life on their holiday experiences, both positive and negative. You know, we never, I'm not just like, oh, how awful is your life? Because mm. I, I, you know, I want vague, open questions that people can really open up to. And this campaign really helped people find other people you know the reaction we the reaction we get is like oh I didn't realize there was other people feeling this way I just feel really alone at, at Christmas time or during the holidays so they were able to reach out to other people and there was a conversation started and people could kind of find some humor or some comfort in the fact that the holidays are not a great time but there's other people that are also not having a great time and there's there's some kind of comfort in that
1: I mean, I remember that project because I contributed to it, um, and it was definitely the first time I realised that other people feel discomfort going home. Yeah, and like you said, leave a queer bubble, and you go back to you know you go, you go back
0: for Christmas and you have all this. Um, you sort of, I, I think, when you go back home for Christmas, you almost revert back into these sort of like parent-child roles. And yeah, or it, it kind of almost brings with the role brings the mindset and sort of you relive those moments of what it was like to kind of realize who you were but also not have the people around you who you've sort of allowed into your queer bubble and allowed you to kind of experiment with who you are. I think
1: because with family especially coming out to them is really difficult and sometimes acceptance isn't there or you know tolerance is there but with your friends you create a chosen family and that was another project that came out for the love of queers chosen family um, and then when you go back for Christmas, you're kind of, I wouldn't use the word re-traumatized, but there is a level of old feelings do bubble yeah. up again and it's not, it's not as rosy as Christmas as would lead you to believe. Yes. Um, and I think that's the expectation that needs to be broken down. It's like a lot of people come from, um, families with separated parents and it's difficult logistically of, you know you have to share Christmas between your partner's family and your family or you've had arguments and like, there's a lot of things with family in general which isn't rosy and sharing the stories on For the Love of Queer made me realise actually the last couple of Christmases I've had you know other people feel the same way
0: yeah and in a way, with that whole kind of, the fact that you have people to be uh, able to resonate to, yeah. that actually really, again, personal experience. but that kind of just lifts a weight to, so to speak, on my shoulders because I don't feel alone. And, you know, you have that kind of understanding, that language where you can communicate to others. And you do, you create a support network. And yeah. maybe mm-hmm. that sounds a bit drastic because, like, God's it, you're going home. Like, what are you talking about? You need a, a support network. But it's like, actually, no, because you, you don't necessarily go home super frequent I, I personally go home every three months I, I have a good relationship with my parents sure. I've realised that as a gay man I'm very lucky to have that relationship with my yeah. parents but that doesn't mean that I've got my queer friends back home yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. and yeah. so to have that contact to have that circle of people I think it's really good
2: I think um, I had this conversation openly with my family because I I'm calling people out for for not supporting you know their queer children and Mm. and then to go home my family felt a bit attacked by that they were like oh are we not supportive enough and support comes in many ways you know many different kind of shapes and it's it's important to just acknowledge how that person feels so you know we have this support network but having that conversation with people that understand you your family do not necessarily understand you just because you're the same DNA It doesn't mean they've experienced your experiences. And and that for me is what's important. Um, But one thing that stood out to me is that your chosen family are not necessarily available during the holidays. You know, a lot of people like leave their phones and they go out with their family and spend time doing things. And then it's like, okay, now what? And then you have to reconnect with your family and it sounds traumatic and for some people it is, but you then get back into it. But I think for a lot of the year as queer people, we forget about home or we push it to the back of our minds and get on with what we're doing, you know, full speed ahead, living our best queer lives. And then we're like, Oh wow, I, I forgot that this is how things were. Yeah. So there, there's a lot, there's a lot of work, but I think conversation is everything. Cause a lot of families I would say are just unaware of how their behavior makes you feel or how, you know, how you're feeling at, at all. And if you, if you're lucky enough to be accepted by your family, then having that conversation, even if it's difficult, is very important. It could change the whole, the whole kind of feel at, at during the holidays, and that's what we need to kind of hold on to sometimes. And I feel like
0: we might be talking about families in a future episode. Yes.
1: When I shared my story about my recent Christmas experience, I realised there's a lot of people who resonate with that, and that's why I think For the Love of a Queer's you know, Instagram page And other queer pages, not just plugging yours, (laughs) um, are really helpful because what I find really interesting with social media is it is the perfect place for people to have a platform for their voices, people who don't normally have a platform for their voices, and that's where social media is great, because then we can share these stories, um, stories we don't see on TV and film, and and that's that's partly the reason why a lot of the times I overshare on Twitter, Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to share I want to reach out to people I want to connect with people I want people to know that you know, you're know you not alone and that's why your stories are great
2: that's why we do what, that's we, what do. we do that's <laughs> why we do what we do
0: let's talk about goals and where we're going this year 2020 so what are your
2: goals for The Love of Queer and also Queer Talk as well this year I just want the page to continue to grow I want, I want to reach out to more people and I want campaigns and stuff to be bigger and better every time I want them to be more meaningful and for me I want to go out into the real world this year and and spend time with the LGBT community so being in London now creating this podcast is going to allow us one to connect with each other but to connect with other people from the community and and have those conversations um, I think it's really important to do that and um, one of the main focuses personally for me and i think the rest of the team kind of agrees to work with charities as much as possible we may not be a corporate that can raise loads of money through some rainbow sandwiches or you know some pride t-shirts but I think what we can do is have the conversations and meet up with them and even just partner with them with the skills we have you know giving them a platform on a podcast taking photographs of them or even just showing support you know volunteering or sharing their information and their posts and their, you know, taglines and stuff, I think that's really important. And that's what the page has done and continues to do. It gives people a voice that other people aren't aware of, you know, you mentioned Rainbow Railroad, we weren't aware. And, and that's what this is doing. You know, I wouldn't, we're, we're not reaching the masses just yet, but one day we will. and um, And that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Keep growing, getting better and making sure that we're using our platform for good and not for bad.
0: And it's also worth saying as well, in terms of like feedback and hearing back, we as a podcast want to listen from people and y- you know, guys, please feel free to give us your feedback because we want to improve and make sure that this podcast is, is yours as much as it, as it is ours. Because exactly. it's, you know, it's yes. a community. Everyone needs to try yes. and get Our DMs followed.
1: are wide open for this. Not, you them. can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody that you would love to collaborate with on the Instagram page? in the future
2: in 2020? I find it really difficult to differentiate between who we who we use because I got to a stage where when we were putting call outs as we've grown almost too many people reach out and want their voices heard and I can create content all day long but sometimes you have to put a stop to it so i always i always make sure to prioritize people that haven't been used before and and try and create each campaign from a different perspective and make sure that everyone gets a chance because at first we were scraping for people because we were new and we were fresh and people didn't know what we were and now people are becoming more aware of that i think i just want to collaborate with with more and more people but in a in a really useful and like practical way so that they're being heard and not just being lost amongst too many voices all at once um and part of that kind of puts a a pressure on me to to make sure that we are picking the right people to speak about the right subjects and to make sure that we're being fair and equal and diverse and I think that's completely possible and that's that's what I strive towards you know making sure that the right people who reach mm. out are being heard. And mm. that's, that's what we need to continue to do. Yeah.
1: You're a man on a mission.
2: Always a man on a mission. Thank you, Spencer. And that, everybody,
0: is the end of our first episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Please make sure to follow us on the socials to keep up to date with what we are up to. On Instagram, we are at queer underscore talk. And on Twitter, we are at queer talk underscore. Until next time.
2: Bye!
0: Those stolen are really nice, aren't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>